0: turn with me to the book of Proverbs, to the book of Proverbs. Uh, Specifically, uh, we'll be looking this morning, well actually we'll be looking at a whole variety of different Proverbs, Uh, some that you can turn to, others that we have we'll put on the screen for you. Uh, But if, just to begin with, let us go to Proverbs chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, I invite you to, uh, to follow along. There's a Bible in the pew back in front of you, or of course you can go to the, download the Grove Church app and click the Bible tab and you can find Proverbs 18 there. If you haven't been with us or if you're visiting with us, then uh, you'll want to know that this morning we are concluding a series that we've been doing here throughout the fall called Wislit 101, Wisdom Literature 101. Uh, the idea is we've decided to go back to the classroom, if you like to go to the classroom of wisdom, to go look at the wisdom that comes only from heaven, the wisdom that comes from God. And so that's where we've been, and we've been taking each week a different uh, subject, and we've been running it through, if you like, the gauntlet of the Proverbs in order that we can understand and glean the wisdom that God gives us in his word. The theme of our time together, of this series, Uh, has been relatively straightforward, and it's this, that God made you, that God loves you, that God wants to guide you, because he wants you to be wise. God made all things. He made all of humanity, of which you are a part. He loves you, or he made you, and he loves you. The most the most grand expression of His love for us is what we've just celebrated here around the Lord's Supper is that He sent His Son to die in our place in order that we might have relationship and reconciliation with God. This is His grand love for us. He is for you. He made you. He knows you. He's for you. And He wants to guide you in your life through His Word and by His Spirit so that you can be wise. Because he wants you to live the wise life. So each week we've been taking a different topic and we will conclude our series with a topic that I think is oh so important and yet not often spent time on and that is the topic of friendship. The topic of friendship. This week I came across a quote by W. Clement Stone and he said this, Be careful the environment you choose for it will shape you. Be careful the friends you choose for you will become like them. You know that it's a lesson that i i we try to my wife and i try to teach our children and we say we, we pray that they will make wise choices that they and that includes the friends that they choose the people that they choose to allow them to have influence because the older they get the less unless i know who it is that they're hanging with and the influences of those people on their lives and so it's important that they understand this but it's important for us to understand this The significance of our friends. Because what we find in the gospel is that the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us deeper into the heart of God than we ever imagined we would ever go. We get a a glimpse into the very heart of God deeper than we ever thought we would ever know. The gospel of Jesus Christ takes us deeper out into the world than we ever felt comfortable going because it propels us out towards those who need to know the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us into the deep, deeper relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ than we ever considered. We're called into deeper, deep into the heart of one another, of friendship. See, because every single one of us is in need of friends. You need friends you need friends you know because why well it begins with who God is It begins with an understanding of who God is. In the Bible, the God of the scriptures, what we have is a a Trinitarian God. Is one God in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, one God, all one God. If that's confusing to you, if that's a new concept to you, and it seems confusing, don't worry. It's confusing to all of us at some level, no matter how well we've studied it. All of the greatest scholars all find this in mystery. And yet in the scriptures, this is what we're told, that God has revealed himself as three distinct persons, one God, a Trinitarian God, and each of those persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, has always existed and has always existed in perfect relationship with one another. What we find in the scriptures is that God is a God of relationship. That God the Father is always in perfect relationship with God the Son and God the Spirit. That God the Son is always in perfect relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit. That God the Spirit is always in perfect harmony and relationship with God the Father and God the Son. They are in perfect relationship with one another. They always have been and they always will be. And then God created. In Genesis 1 and 2. God created humankind. God created humankind and humanity and made us in his image. Which means if God in his very essence is a relational God, then that means that you and I were built by God for relationships. You were built for friends. And I don't know if you remember, but in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, God created Adam, and then Adam was sent to go work in the Garden of Eden, and what his, one of his jobs was to name the animals. And, uh, and throughout all the creation story, what we hear is, and God said it was good, and then it was good, and then it was good, and then it was good. Do you remember the one thing that wasn't good? It wasn't good for man to be alone. Now, this is before sin enters the world. Sin doesn't enter the world till Genesis chapter 3. This is still in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. It wasn't good for a man to be alone. Because why? Because he was made in God's image, and God is a relational God. He was made for friendships. He was made for relationships. This is, why, this is how we were built. This is how we are wired by God. And it wasn't a result of this ache for Friendships. This ache that Adam had for a relationship with someone was not a result of sin. This is the one ache, this ache for friends that wasn't a result. All of the other aches that we have are because of the brokenness and of, of sin in our world. But this one ache, this ache for relationships was before sin ever entered the world. This was a part of Adam in his still perfect state. You understand he was walking and talking with God every single day. He had like a perfect quiet time every day for like 24-7. That's like way better than I ever could do. Maybe, maybe you're better than that. But that was what he had. And he still had an ache for a relationship, for someone else. So, of course, God created Eve. What does all this mean? It means a couple of things. One is if you're here this morning and you're lonely, and you feel alone, and you have this ache deep down inside you for relationship, for friends, you're not broken, you're fine. Because that ache is, is placed there by God for us. It's a part of how we're made. That, that ache that you, now there, there may be reasons why you, you don't have friends, and, and we can address that. But, that. but that initial ache, that longing for deep relationships, to know someone and to be known by someone, that is of God and in your life. You need friends. So, one of the things that it means for us, if this is the way that we're wired, is that this longing for friends is important. The second thing that it means for us is that some of us are learning as life goes on to not want friends. Some of us are learning and, and or have learned, and I think semi-consciously, that we don't actually want friends, that we don't actually need friends. And of course, there's lots of reasons for it, and nobody that I've ever met has ever said, I don't want friends. Maybe you know somebody, I I haven't talked to somebody who said, nope, I don't want any friends. Now people go, yeah, I'm cool with friends. But subconsciously are actually isolating ourselves and finding ourselves more and more isolated because we've been hurt, because friends take time, because friends are rarely convenient, if ever, And we find ourselves isolating ourselves. And I want to suggest this to you this morning, that if you, the less you want friends, and the less friends that you actually pursue, and the less friend that you actually are, then the less like Jesus you are, and the less you're living in the wisdom that he calls you to, because you were made for friends you were made for Jesus himself, surrounded himself with 12 disciples, specifically with a select group that even he got even closer to. And in his earthly ministry, he walked with these men and talked with these men. He ate with these men. He did everything with these men because Jesus himself needed relationships. And if we're saying, no, I'm fine. I don't actually need relationships. I can be fine on my own. We're isolating ourselves from the very pattern that Jesus set. You're saying that you're better than Jesus himself who needed friends. You wouldn't say that, of course, but by your actions. If we are going to walk in the wisdom of God because He made you and because He's for you and because He loves you. Then what He's saying to you is let yourself need people. If you want, if you and, and, and if you and if you wait until life is hard, if you wait till life starts crashing down on you to build friends, it's too late. It's too late. You need to begin now. Because this is how we're wired. We all need friends, but the reality of the fact is, most of us don't have many of them. Because what we have here is what I will refer to as the foolish friends and the wise friends. And I want to spend the balance of our time looking at the difference between our foolish friends and wise friends. First, we begin with our foolish friends, or our false friends, or our fake friends, or as one of my friends, it is a friend, uh, Jonathan Holmes, he's a pastor friend of mine, and he actually wrote a book called um, "Called The Company We Keep in Search of Biblical Friendship. And I couldn't commend it to you more highly. It's a short book if it's something that you're interested in. It's a, it's a wonderful book, and in this particular book, he refers to this these as relational substitutes. And he gives three categories of relational substitutes that are a part of uh, our pursuit of friendship that are actually foolish friends. And let me just, I just want to unpack each of those three categories for you briefly. The first one is this. The first category of foolish friends is social media friends. It's social media friends and over the course of time you know we've had this rise in technology and of course of social media and technology proposes that it is to architect, if you like, the intimacy, the relationships. And we have these uh, certain particular kind of friend that's sort of out in cyber world somewhere, out in cyberspace, where we we have all these people that wish us happy birthday, right? And we're like, oh, nice of them to think about us, when really there's somebody prompting them going, yeah, you better think about that person, right? Uh, And they go, oh, look at all these friends that just wished me happy birthday. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, they felt guilty. But there's a particular kind of friend but this kind of relationship bears little resemblance to this biblical, to, to, actually, to actually meeting this longing, this ache, this need that we have for relationship. Sherry Turkle writes this, she's a writer. She says, technology proposes itself as the architect of our intimacies. These days, it suggests these substitutions that send the real relationships on the run these substitutions are not even especially satisfying for all the conveniences and the advancements that technology has provided to connect us loneliness and depression still persist that there is these substitutes that provide and say that you're going to be so well connected but but in reality they're not you're not actually it's, it's just a poor substitute for the deep longing of our hearts for the real relationships. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and others are fun, and they're fun to be a part of, but if they're not careful, while they claim to make relationships easier, they actually become a substitute for real relationships. And where there's an absence of real connection with real people, then people are comforted more and more by the fact that they're connected to many, many people. Rather than having deep connections, then we, then we find solace in the fact that we're connected to... Look, Well, look at all these friends that I have on Facebook. Look at all these followers I have on Twitter. Look at all these people that look at my stuff on Instagram. Look at all these people. I've got friends. I am... But in the absence, you know, but here's the deal. All of those friends that we have are carefully kept at bay from the realities of our lives. We can't possibly get enough of one another, because we can use this technology to keep other people at bay in our lives, away at a distance, so that we can control the relationship. They're not too close. They're not too far. They're just right in the position where we can control the relationship, because we want Relationships that we can control. We want friendships that are on our timetable. We want relationships and friendships on our terms of agreement. We don't want friendships to move us out of our comfort zone. And real relationships will do that. I'm not against social media. I'm on social media. I like social media. I'm a fan of social media, actually. But I'm simply pointing out how much, I want you to consider the amount of investment that one puts into those particular areas, those social media outlets that can never, ever, ever provide the longing and actually solve the longing and the ache that actually is in your heart, that will never actually be able to help you walk in the wisdom of God, that will never have you give you the real connection that you actually need. So one, one category of friends is... Is there are social media friends that are foolish friends. Not that they're all fools, but it's foolish for us to think that that's a real substitute for the real thing. The second is this, our specialized friends. And Holmes says this, he suggests that specialized friends are content to reduce a relationship down to the common activities or interests. Right? We, we often compartmentalize our relationships. We can be based on the common interests that we share with whomever those people are. So he, he gives us two categories in these specialized friendships. You could come up with many, many more, I'm sure. But two are this, the first is this, the stages of life, the stages of life, specialized relationships. So college people hang out with college people, right? So young marrieds hang out with other young marrieds, young families hang out with the other young families, senior adults hang out with senior adults. And this is the specialized stages of life that we're in. And there's a sense to that where you go, well, that just makes sense, doesn't it? That we would hang out with people that we know that are in the same stage of life. Yeah, because, and everybody just has a tendency to kind of stay in your lane. And as your lane ages up, then you, you just kind of roll with those same folks. But what happens is, it's normal, it's natural, but if we pursue those relationships exclusively, then we miss out on opportunities for deeper relationships outside of those things. If we, if we just stay with our people, if we just stay in our lane, then we miss out on the richness of relationships across generations, of people from different experiences, of how we can experience God through them in different ways. A second category that that uh, of specialized friendships is common interests, and this, of course, makes sense. It's when we develop relationships over a common interest—maybe sports, or hunting, or fishing, or parenting, or scrapbooking, or exercise, or whatever the interest is. There's there's thousands and millions of different interests, but we develop those relationships with those people that we go and hang out with for those and do those events or those activities, and we understand this. And we have lots of people that we fit into our categories. So those are the people I go work out with. Those are the people that I... These, there's you know, a whole variety of these things. However, this stage of relationship is good, but it falls short of the biblical definition of what we actually long for, of, or actually of biblical friendship. It falls short, uh, short of meeting our needs and the desires of our heart. You see, for the Christian within the church... The challenge with these categories. And and we have these, right? I mean, we even program in some of these ways. And yet there's something far more significant. For in the church, there is a spiritual bond that actually bonds people together. There's a a supernatural bond that actually has people who would have no affinity for one another but they're bonded together because they are both bound to Christ. When you as a person are bound to Christ, then we are bonded together with one another. That takes us outside of our normal lanes. That takes us outside of common interests. That binds us together because we are all bound to Christ. The very essence of friendship is not just to look at each other. You know, it's the essence of biblical friendship is not to look at somebody and say, Dude, you want to be friends? Because that, I mean, or hey, let's find things that we have in common so that we can... No, it's when two people, Christian people are actually staring and taken up with the exact same thing that as we find ourselves connected to Christ, and as we find ourselves coming to the table and find our our hearts warmed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we sing songs about the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you here together, who came at different times, came from different backgrounds, came from different places, like coffee or don't like coffee, like Starbucks or like caribou, because you're a sinner, (laughs) have a bond together, because we're all staring together at Christ, or as Tim Keller says, when two people fall in love with Jesus, they are becoming friends no matter who they used to be. You see, if we reduce our relationships down to people that are like us in our same stage of life or someone who likes the same stuff that I like, then we miss out on the deep richness of the church, of deep biblical friendship that Christ calls us towards. Well, a third a third category he has of selfish friend- of, of friendships, of foolish friendships, are selfish friends. These are friendly relationships that you have with people who are simply seeking to take from the relationship, and this relationship, of course, can take many forms. Right. I may try to befriend you because I think you'll give me status or because you'll give me gifts or you'll give me your time or because you'll listen to my problems or you make me feel important or significant or, or, or serve my needs. Whatever it is, these relationships. And it can often, you know, this is, this is often, you know, in, in, in business relationships. You know, I, I'll be connected to you. We'll be friends because I, I need you to be my client I, or I want to be your client or something like that where it's, it's always give and take and that's the basis of the relationship. You know, we had some friends um, several years ago now, a couple of churches ago that I served at, and we had some friends that were serving in a particular ministry that I was leading, and they came up to me one day, and they said, hey, we want you to know that we have, a, we have a beach house down in Hilton Head, and we'd love for you to be able to use it and take your family down there whenever you want to, free of charge. And I thought, that's fantastic. And so there was a couple of times that we were able to utilize it. It was fantastic, and it was wonderful. But you know what I, what I realized is I had to check my heart to make sure that the reason I was pursuing a relationship with this particular couple was not just because of the benefits of being able to use their vacation home free of charge. They end up selling that, or getting rid of their vacation home. And thankfully, they're still friends of ours that we enjoy when we go back to Ohio opportunities to be able to connect with him when I when I moved on in my own career path he was still one of the men that I would get together with and have lunch with because we developed a bond and a relationship but I had to check my own heart to be sure that I wasn't just using him for something that I enjoyed and it can happen all the time if we're not careful where we can have people trying to take from us because they're selfish or we ourselves are the selfish ones the heart of biblical friendship is serving one another in a relationship with one another. It could not be more polar opposite to this idea of taking in relationship well if these are, if this is what foolish some some ideas of what foolish friendships look like what are what are wise friendships? what do those look like for us in this book um, in, in this particular book, both Jonathan Holmes as well as Tim Keller give four things that I would just like to lay out for you that make four marks, if you like, of Christian friendship. First is this, constancy. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all time, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18:24 says, or the, the end of that verse says, But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That uh, in true biblical friendships, it's marked by con- constancy, consistency, cons- being consistent in relationship with one another. That if we're going to be biblical, if we're going to be wise in our relationships, then it's not. Then, then it, it, the, one of the marks, one of the significant, is that you will be there, and that you will continue to be there. A true friend is closer than a brother. He's making this point that saying that you, that a true friend that will continue to stay with you is a friend who who's actually closer to you than your biological family because you didn't get to choose your family you didn't get to choose your brother or sister and that may or you didn't get to choose your parents and that may or may not be a great thing they may or may not actually be there for you they may or may not be your friend But you get to choose your friends, so choose a friend who will be there for you, who will be consistent in their relationship with you, and choose to be a friend who will be consistent in relationships with other people. This is a significant thing for us, that biblical friendship is faithful, consistent, and constant. Holmes says, Biblical friendships are not fleeting or easily disposable, but are are characterized by true constancy in defiance of the obstacles continually tossed at us by the effects of the fall. In a a transient society, in a a, a society that's built relationships on taking from one another, it's built relationships on social media platforms, it's built relationships on, on... on, on life stages, what he says here is being able to say one of the marks, he says, "In defiance of all of those things, is that we're consistently connected in relationship with our friends." Well, a second mark of the Christian friendship is candor, is candor. Proverbs 27, five and six says, "Better is an open rebuke than a hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend." Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Of the four of these characteristics, this may be the most difficult. The idea that we will... A true friend is one who will actually speak truth to you. A true friend... I used to love watching. You know, they're bringing American Idol back. Did you see that happening? I used to love the beginning of American Idol, where they actually have these people that would come in an audition that couldn't sing, and they were just terrible. And all of the nation is laughing at them, including myself. And I kept thinking to myself, that person does not have a true friend. Those people who go out on national TV and embarrass themselves, I'm like, they don't have a true friend. Someone who will actually speak candor. I love you. You can't sing. It's that easy. Don't embarrass everyone else no no, not just right someone who will speak truthfully and help them yesterday was the um i don't know if you follow college football yesterday was the game uh ohio state uh, played michigan i'm a michigan fan die art my wife an ohio state fan um so that always makes it a little tense in our home come this time of the year um and yesterday was no different um you know, so yesterday morning, this is the game came on at 11. So yesterday morning, she, I was working in my study. She comes into the study, um, and she says to me, she said, um, I need you to make me a promise. And I said, okay. She says, you need to promise me that you will, this, this year you will not pout. <laughs> I said, what? She said, last year you were over the top. And if you're going to be like that, then I'm just going to take the kids and we're going to do something by ourselves. Then she left. How is that for candor? <laughs> so you know what I did? I actually thought about it and then I actually prayed about it because I'm like, did I really? Was that? Me? I don't pout. I mean, I might get a little irritated from time. To, but And the more I thought, the more I'm like, Absolutely, that's what I did and that's what I do and that's who I am. So I went to her and I made this I whispered this promise that I wouldn't pout. And I had reason to because my team lost again. And I think I did okay. I don't know, you have to ask her. I did my best. It was progress though. It's progress. Because we need someone who will speak truth to our lives. That's true friendship thirdly is carefulness. Proverbs 25:20 20, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like the one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Proverbs 27:14 Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as a cursing. I love that one. For all of you like morning people, mm, take wor- take warning, right? <laughs> right? It's like someone who goes out in the neighborhood like, "Hey, wake up!" You know that's everybody hates you. You're a terrible neighbor. You're a terrible friend. In case you've been doing that, we need to be careful. Yes, we need to have candor, but we need to be careful with one another because that's what true friends do. You don't say things just because you're right. You don't say them just because they're true, as true as they may be. They may not be timely, and there can actually create more damage in your relation, but a true biblical friend. According to the Proverbs is one that not only has candor, but it also has carefulness because you recognize you're dealing with a human soul and you love that person because you're consistently committed to that person. And so therefore, we must be careful in the way in which we approach one another, in the words that we use. Because why? Because this is a brother or sister in Christ. Because we love them. We need to be careful in our language. And when we get frustrated, and we know that we're right, and we know that we're it's true, then sometimes we forget to be careful. Sometimes we forget the love part of speaking the truth in love. Well, the final characteristic, the final mark, is counsel. Is counsel. Proverbs fifteen twenty two: Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs. 27.9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of friends comes from his earnest counsel. A biblical friend is one that is able, that gives and receives wise counsel. Paul Tripp, a writer, author, pastor, says, we are all designed to be counsel givers and counsel receivers. That's how God made us. Friendships require sharing. Friendships require sharing. You cannot have a spiritual friendship, a biblical friendship, without sharing your feelings. You can't be friends unless you're willing to share your things and share your life with one another. You can't be spiritual friends unless you're willing to share your faith. You need people who will help you, who will speak the gospel to you when you're not thinking properly. That they will remind you of all that Christ has done for you and who you are in Christ because sometimes we get off base and you need somebody desperately in your life who will counsel you with the very counsel of God. We cannot be spiritual friends unless we share in decision-making with one another. We don't always discern the will of God well on our own. I would suggest to you you don't discern the will of God well on your own. That you need to share it with trusted friends who will speak with candor, who are consistent in your life, who will be careful in the way in which they speak to you, but they will counsel you with the very counsel of the word of God. It, would, it is the epitome of foolishness for us to say, mind your own business. Because we were made for a relationship. We were made for these types of relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so some of you may be thinking, I don't have this type of friend in my life. And some of you may be thinking, I know that I haven't been this type of friend for anybody in my life. Well, let me remind you of this. This wonderful place in John chapter 15, verse 15, where Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know his master's, know what his master is doing. But I call you friends, for all I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus came down, and he lived the perfect life so that we could be his friends, and he says, I've shared God with you. Everything of my, from my Father, I have shared with you, so that you can know that you have a friend who is closer than a brother. I've come, I've come, and I've shared everything about God with you so that we can be friends. He will always be consistent. Creation was about making us friends. Redemption is about remaking us friends, friends with Christ. And Jesus says, I have made you my friend, and that you will be my friend forever and ever and ever. He will always be with you. He will always let you in. He will always enter in, and he will never let you down. And this is the friend that we have to look forward to, that we have to lean on, that we know really in our life. So where do we go from here? A couple things, and then I'm done. First, if you know, if you know that you have a relationship with a friend that needs healing, then I want to challenge you to not let any more time go by to swallow your pride and to go make that right, to go, make that, to go be the friend that you know that you're supposed to be by the power of God. And second, that some of you need to repent from being a bad friend, from being a selfish friend from trying to use people. You need to repent from trying to find this deep longing set up in in social media or on these other outlets, and we need to start pursuing true friendship because when you start becoming, when you repent of doing all these other things and when you become the type of friend that people need and long for, then you'll be surprised at how many friends you end up having. And every single one of us need to lean into our best friend, who is Christ, who is Christ, because he made you. Because he loves you. He's for you. Because he wants to guide you so that you can live in the wisdom that comes from heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, the truest friend that anyone could ever know. May we, those who are made in your image, humble ourselves, be willing to look in the mirror and and, and, and Be honest about the type of friend that we've been. Be honest about the relationships that we need to go mend so that we can glorify and honor you in the way in which we are befriending one another because we know we need it. In your name we pray, amen.